All right, so there's nothing like getting ready to go up front and spilling coffee down a light gray shirt. <laughs> I look down and I'm like, oh. But I'm not going to take the shirt off, so I'm just going to have to deal with it. And um, maybe it'll be a distraction, maybe it won't, but we'll just talk about it up front and you can know what happened. Maybe it'll dry out halfway through and you won't see it. But <clears throat> So today's passage for me is my favorite part of James. And I feel like it's so full of stuff that it could be like three sermons. I feel like he's built, 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 built this whole model, this idea of you say you have faith. What does that look like? What does it mean to have faith? Is it just, okay, I, I believe this, this, this. I believe these facts. Or is it something that is deeper? And James continues to show that faith in Jesus Christ is a life-changing, life-transforming, you can't miss it, it's not an accident, it's very apparent to yourself and to others around you that to come into, into uh, relationship with Jesus and then to call yourself a Christ follower means that your life takes on a whole different tenor. And we've seen, we've walked through that, that it's like, hey guys, I want you to understand what it means to have faith. This is what it means. That when you go through hardship and trial, you endure. That when you're in temptation, you don't get bitter. You don't blame God. You don't become a victim. That when you hear the word of God, you respond. Living faith says, hmm, that's not a, that's a kind of a good idea. Probably ought to do that. No, it's like, all right. It's a, it's a becoming a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Living faith, he, he continues to write, and, and no doubt these were things that they were dealing with specifically, but I think are, they're obviously uh, appropriate for all of us to consider and understand. Uh, I, I see and treat people uh, in an impartial way, and what makes me so visible to the world as a Christ follower is my impartiality, that I do not discriminate that I do not uh, have a, a superior kind of approach. That I am compassionate toward everyone, regardless of rich, poor, ethnicity, all these things. He continues to talk about faith, really, at its core. Uh, it can't help but, but manifest itself in a life that is a pattern of good works. And he's like, just take a minute, check yourself at the door, look at your life, and if it's not a pattern of good works, then you need to assess what your faith is in, or the level of your faith, or the reality of your faith, the authenticity. Faith affects the way we talk, right? Like, in relationship with Jesus, my communication changes in so many ways. And he talks about a new way of thinking. That's what we talked about last week. Wisdom that is from above. 
And then all of a sudden, in relationship with Jesus, having faith in him, and what that means to have faith in him, is that he begins to transform my mind, renew my mind, and all of a sudden, the programming that I have had as a, a fallen person, as a natural person of this world, and the thought patterns that I have developed, all of a sudden Christ is coming into my life and I'm beginning to be reprogrammed. And all of a sudden my thinking is different. It looks different than the thought patterns, the philosophies of this world. And is my faith real? Am I an authentic believer in Jesus? Well, one of the ways I can understand that is if my thinking in many ways is in direct conflict to the ways the thinking patterns of this world and so we move to this theme today where i see it all throughout the new testament it's like every writer somewhere in some book uh, or in some book in the books that they're writing they come back to this theme so often It's at the heart of faith. It's at the heart of living in relationship to to Jesus. It's the day-to-day, rubber meets the road. This is where it's at. And it's like James comes to this, faith impacts this, faith impacts this. It's like the Holy Spirit impresses him as he impressed the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, to come back to this consistent, this theme that is central core to what it means to live in faith in Jesus Christ. And he starts it this way. He's just talked about a new way of thinking. And so he's going to carry this theme on a little bit. And he asks this question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Um... I guess we could ask that uh, today. You get a lot of different answers, and you probably look at your husband or wife and say something, right? But what causes fights and quarrels among you? Evidently, to the people he was writing to, and what is a general theme of life, is, is conflict is, it easily exists, right? Our world is full of conflict. We have whole courses on conflict management, when you get hired uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, a lot of settings, especially management, one of the key things that they want to know is, how do you handle conflict? Right? It's important. It, 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 your answer maybe gets you a job or costs you a job and how your understanding of how to deal with conflict. Conflict is everywhere. And James is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. With you guys in the community of Jesus, you're quarreling and fighting, and it ought not to be. It doesn't look any different than a fighting, quarreling world that we live in, fallen. He says, have you thought about what's causing that? And I want to kind of come back to this theme is what he's saying. I want to get to the heart of the matter. And he says, Don't they come, fights and quarrels come from your desires that battle within you. I want you to say a phrase with me. I'm going to ask you to say this a few times during the sermon. But I just want this to sink in with you. Would you say this phrase, I am in a battle? Would you say it with me? I am in a battle. Believe that? 
Say it again. I am in a battle. The reality of our life is that we live in a battle each and every day. If you're looking at me today and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're losing the battle. Paul would talk about it this way. I I love this, the way he expresses it. He says, there is this conflict of the flesh and the spirit. He says, you should live in the spirit, walk in the spirit, because you are in constant, there is this conflict that wants to arise in your soul, in your heart, in your mind, and carry out in your behaviors of this dealing with the flesh and the spirit. Now, when I talk about flesh, I'm not saying that the the natural flesh that we have is, is bad. The idea of flesh, that word is used in the New Testament, is it's, it's, it's like here, it's natural desires gone bad. Breaking bad. Did you get that? Some of you who watch that show, I've never watched it, but it's breaking bad. God who gave us desire, Right? We're not just blobs that just kind of exist. I thought about that the other day. I was watching my dog, Nellie, and I was just thinking about her life. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Nellie. Like, she really is, you know, kind of moved into my heart. She's a small dog. I like big dogs. But, but just think about her life. Like, my wife was gone. The kids were gone to West Virginia. It was just me and Nellie. And I'm thinking... She just followed me around everywhere when I was home. Like, thinking, man, the purpose of her life. Like, it's just, like, next meal and get, you know, scratched on behind the head. And they, they bring joy, right, to our lives. I mean, she's, but, like, I'm just saying, we're not like that. We have desires. Like, we want to accomplish something. We want to do something. We want to be somebody. There's significance And what has happened is God has given us these desires that are just innate to what it means to be human. A desire to love and be loved. A desire to be secure. A desire to to, uh, have significance. A desire to enjoy. A desire to seek and have fulfillment. So many things, it's, it's innate to the desires that we have. There's nothing wrong with desire. But since sin entered into the world, this is where it has affected us in a profound way. Our desires have broke bad. Our desires have have become something that we, we cannot control. Our desires are something that cause us to to gratify them to the exclusion of what is right, what is appropriate. There is this, there is this fallen condition now where we begin to falsely think that the desires that we have for something in our life and although in in their origination were something that God gave us and he enjoys us to fulfill them and we have enjoyment in the fulfillment that all of a sudden we begin to place our affection and our hope in the fulfillment of that desire it's just broke bad 
And what happens is, is in desire breaking bad, it creates a, a, a life of conflict because we're pushing and shoving and doing whatever it takes and we'll run over you and your grandma and we'll do what, you know, and like, and if you don't make me help get this desire, then I will push back. And it's just causing, con- it's quarrels and conflicts, fights and quarrels among you. He continues this theme like, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. I've thought about this this week, and I've looked at any number of commentaries, and uh, I, there's no evidence that people were killing each other, okay? No evidence that James was talking to people who were actually killing. But he's saying at the root of what it means to, what, what leads you down the road to inevitably killing someone is desire that runs out of control. Desire that is, uh, it just becomes obsessive, overwhelming, insatiable to you. And our prisons are full of people who have taken somebody else's life because they were doing whatever it took to reach their desire, to fulfill the desires they had. He's saying, listen, desire, it's broke bad, and it's causing all sorts of conflict and that's the source of it i like what douglas moo says about um the fights and quarrels and his commentary has been a baseline for me in this whole series i I recommend it if you like to read commentaries but um okay The arguments and conflicts that were disrupting the christian fellowship james is saying it wasn't righteous passion or justifiable zeal like i'm standing for something that's truth and i'm fighting back against you and because i'm willing to quarrel and tangle with you because this is a false belief he says that the core is people were selfishly it was a selfish indulgent desire that faith needed to take hold in this core principle of life and that's the tyranny of self He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you didn't even ask God. But then when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you might spend what you get on your pleasures. And what happens is our desires through the self-centered principle that exists within us become the end unto themselves. And it's what we headlong, passionately pursue above everything else. It becomes the tyranny of self. This is the rubber meets the road every day. The battle that you and I are in. Are we going to allow the Spirit of God to lead, control, direct our lives? Or are we going to Take control ourselves. This causes all sorts of conflict. It causes conflict with others. It causes conflict within ourselves. But watch where this continues to lead. The tyranny of self, this principle, is where at the core of what faith, living faith in Jesus comes down to is what am I going to do about the self-principle in my life? Am I going to surrender myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, you know what's amazing? I would just sh- take a sideline for a minute and tell you that 
this has been the number one battle of my life. It's the number one battle of everybody's life. But for me especially, wrestling with this. If you don't know this, I kind of have a stronger personality. Like it's hard for me to, to let go. I'm not the guy in a relationship that's like, I don't care. I'm just not. And so for me, I have wrestled with the Lord about letting go of things. Right? Especially early on when he's calling me into ministry and like he's asking me to live a whole new lifestyle and like I'm just, everything's. You know what I've experienced and I continue to experience? I have never one time regretted giving him control. And that I've actually realized that in my life before Christ, my control was leading me toward an empty void, endless desire that was never fulfilled kind of life. And it was destructive. My decision-making was flawed. And, you know, I, my relationships were, were uh, skewed. I based relationships on the wrong things, fulfilling desires in the wrong way. I was kind of the cocky, arrogant, punk teenager. Because I was in control. I had the truck that said no fear. Can you believe that? I did. I, can show, I thought about showing a picture of it. How stupid. I did. I had a red S10 86 pickup. It was tricked out. It looked nice. New wheels, sporty bumpers, bed liner. It looked sharp. You know, in the mid-90s, that 80s S10. And then I went and got a red no fear sticker. I just thought I was the coolest thing. And now I look at my life and think, no fear. It's stupid. It's false bravado, right? And my relationships would sometimes, like, they just would react or overreact. And I just couldn't get out of my own way. So often, laying down control of my life to the Lord has created a whole new way of living that has brought peace and unity and harmony and leadership. Direct. Like, I've never regretted, never regretted giving anything over to the Lord. Not one time. I keep learning that lesson, too. And self, the tyranny of the flesh, is existent in all of our life. The potential for that is a daily struggle that you and I have to manage, overcome, and win. And he says what happens is, is so often the tyranny of self leads to this friendship with the world. He starts it this way, you adulterous people. Whoa, that's rough. How would you feel like if I just shot at you like that? Like, Called you just names like this, right? These people are tough. Like, they just, okay. You adulterous people. Why would he do that? Well, they, as Jewish people, they would have identified with this very clearly. And I think it's such a vivid picture of what we need to understand in relationship with God. You see, when God established his people, the children of Israel, called them out, he, he would refer to them as you know, he was 
He was the male in the relationship, and they were the female. Okay? Like, even now, the church is represented as what? The bride of Christ. Right? And, and so he would say things to them like, when you have chosen to follow after other gods, and you have stopped pursuing me, you, in essence, have, you have committed adultery against me. All through the Old Testament, you'll see this language. He, he will say that they be, were a prostitute. They acted like a whore. He would say things like that. I would tell you as a pastor, I have sat hours in an office with couples in which adultery has taken place. I will tell you that those are gut-wrenching times, even for someone who is not involved with it, but is trying to help. The pain, the betrayal, the, the loss of trust, the sacredness that has been violated. I mean, even as a guy just trying to help, I just walk away feeling like I have just been punched in the gut. It affects me emotionally. There is something so traumatic about the violation of a sacred union, adultery. In fact, Proverbs would say that when adultery happens to a man, it's like fire burning in his bones. There's a rage that comes from betrayal of something so special. What God is communicating to us is that when we, in this walk of flesh and spirit, desire that is given to us, when we end up pursuing our desires to the neglect of God, that we will inevitably move to an affection for a friendship with the world that is a desiring and finding emotional bonding with the world instead of with Jesus Christ. And it is in essence the same kind of principle as if I would have left my wife for another. It is betrayal. It is adultery. Isn't that a vivid picture? Like, God looks at our relationship with Him, and when we pursue our selfish desires, it inevitably leads to a love for the world around us. We begin to place value and affection and hope in the creation rather than the creator. We begin to think that the things that he's given to us will bring fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness and that the fulfillment of all these desires, they become an end in of ourselves. And he looks on as God who created us for relationship with him. And when we do that, he feels like a betrayed spouse. Vivid language. He says this, do you think the scripture says without reason that God jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? 
you remember coming off the mountain, Moses, with these Ten Commandments, this new moral code, this, hey, this is how God is, this is how he wants you to be, and if, if you guys will share the same morality, there will become a relationship that will be close and intimate and tight. And that first one is, you will have no other gods. Because what, he, what does he say? The Lord your God is a what? Jealous God. He is out for one thing, exclusive relationship with you. He's not jealous about you. He's jealous for you. And he says, listen, this word friendship, friendship with the wor- world, uh, it's, uh, you know, you guys are rec- you rec- would recognize the four love words, and uh, philea, phileo, uh, phile, you know, the, the words of friendship, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love is where, you know, it's that whole thing of, 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 of a deep affection. And this word here, it, it means having an emotional attachment to or an affection for. It's the word we actually get the word kiss from, to to demonstrate emotion and affection. It's not casual, but it's a deep, intimate longing to be involved with. Common concerns, interests, objectives, enterprises, deeply felt affection, and emotional bonding. The world is, is obviously not the physical, tangible things of this world. It's the systems, the thought patterns, this, the principles of this world that are self-centered in nature. And he says to become friends with the world, to, he, to hold this deep affection, causes you to turn your affection from the Father to the things that he has given to you. And this is ultimately what happens with the tyranny of self in our life. And what is faith going to do with self? That's the question. Because if we allow self to win the day, we will ultimately become enamored, infatuated, in a headlong pursuit for this temporary world that God has given to us. And we will distort the whole design of this world, and we will live as people who cheaply and in an empty way pursue trinkets. Any of you remember this song? Anybody remember who sang that? Hank Williams, right? Your cheating heart. I actually listened to it this week. I know why I don't listen to country music. I tease. I'm from Iowa, man. Every other station is country, right? So I don't listen to country music because it does kind of depress me. But um, <laughs> Your cheating heart, right? That was one of the gold standards. They, they say it's one of the most influential songs of country music. Hank Williams talks about, uh, you know. And this is evidently what happens to us when our desires are wrongly placed. Placed in the world 
instead of God himself. We live with a, a cheat in heart. And just as the experience of unfaithful living brings all sorts of pain and emptiness, loneliness, all sorts of damage, so too you and I, if we live with the love of the world as our primary affection, we experience a life that is empty, full of conflict with others, within ourselves, and with God. We become enemies with God. And that's actually not us saying, we're your enemy, God. The way this is written is, God says, you are my enemy. You're unfaithful to me. You are not. I would remind you of what other writers would remind us. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Romans says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. And if you do that, your mind will be renewed and you will know God's will, His plan, His design for you. It's exclusive of the pattern of this world. It was Paul who came to the, the Corinthian church. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. What does righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and, and a false God? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there with the temple of God and idols? We are a temple of the living God. As God has said, I live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from from them, come out from the world and be separate, says the Lord. The tyranny of self leads to an inordinate effect, I shouldn't say inordinate, the undesirable affection for the world that will never satisfy, that will never, it, it's, it's like you get enough and you got to have more. It's empty. It's void, and it's always living in conflict, especially conflict with yourself. But what is so cool about James is he addresses this rubber meets the road, where does faith live and act? He ends it with hope, with, okay, and maybe today I'm talking to people, you just say, man, all my affection is placed in what I can experience, what I can accomplish, what I can possess, how I can be recognized. I'm going to be honest, Chip, that's been my pursuit. That's my life. If you were to break down my life, if there was no face to see and it was just, you know, how they'll do that on the screen, a profile, you would say that the love of the world, the pursuit of the world is me. And you'd say, well, I'm just stuck here. James would say, no way. And as I've assessed my own life, I've thought this week, you know, I, I honestly believe that I've reached a point in my relationship with the Lord that the love of the world is not my primary motivation. It's the love of the Father. And yet, in my own day-to-day -day life, it's so easy to see things where I, I flirt with the world. There's affection for. There, there, there's, and, and it, 
does it or is it causing me to dim my affection for the Father? Is it distracting me from an exclusive relationship with Him? And I would say, yes. There are, I, as a believer, and I believe I'm talking to so many of you, that your life has been redirected and the love of the Father is your primary. And James is just throwing out a word of warning to us, understanding that our hearts in this daily battle can be easily uh, distracted and what can become something that's small can all of a sudden be can grow in our heart and affection can take place and take root and all of a sudden it can be a matter of time before we choose to love things of this world and begin to neglect our relationship with the father i mean think about how even we talk about unfaithful relationships have it starts with a flirting, right? And it moves to a probably an emotional connection, you know, and then it full blown takes fruit in a relationship. It normally just doesn't happen, right? Like adultery doesn't just happen. There's a growing process. And with you and I, I think James is just throwing out a word of warning for us to avoid being unfaithful to God. It's to keep a mindset of understanding our affections, where they're at, and cultivating ways to continue to have affection for the Father to the exclusion of affection for the world. I don't know what this means for you. I don't know what the world is to you. I've thought about how do I express this today, and I feel as the Lord just saying, let me just speak through the whole, you know, obviously, through His Holy Spirit. For some of you, the world is characterized by, um, you know, wealth or the world is, it's these, it's these, it's basically this question. Is there anything in your life that you could lose tomorrow and you would stop following Jesus? If he took away this, would you still follow? What is it that you hold most dear? Is it a relationship? Is it your job? Is it your possessions? And if you knew God tomorrow took it from you, would you still love God? Or would you be like, that was what I was really placing all my affection in. I don't know what that is for you. James gives us this idea of how do I live faithful? What is the remedy How do I avoid falling in love with the world? It's this way. Listen to this. I love this phrase, but he gives more grace. The context of all this is the grace of God. You cannot stop loving the world in your own strength. You cannot desire today to just try harder or deny more or, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and just do better. It's not going to work. The love of the Father against the love of the world, walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh, comes down to the context of God infusing His supernatural grace into your life that you are not able in your own strength, but through the empowerment of His Holy Spirit that comes through waiting in His Word and in prayer and the community of saints and and a dependence, that creates the context where you begin to have affection for the Father. 
He gives more grace. The context of grace. This is why the scripture says, God opposed the proud, but shows favor to the humble. If grace is the context, humility is the conduit. There will never be any person who is able to live with an affection for the Father that is not humble, that doesn't live with humility. It is core to what it is to stay faithful to God is to be humble. And then he says, here's how you pull this off. Submit yourselves then to God. Surrender yourselves to God. Give yourself completely to him. Romans 12, 1. Offer yourself up. Take yourself out of the driver's seat. Be willing to follow God completely, wholeheartedly. And how you do this is three things. You resist the devil, and he will flee to, from you. It's an understanding that in this battle of flesh and spirit, self and surrender, that we have an adversary who is always trying to sow lies and deception and oppression into our lives. And we are willing to stand up to recognize, to discern, to push back against the schemes, the plans, the, the patterns of the devil in our life. If you're saying to me today, I don't know what you're talking about, I would tell you, get on your knees before God and begin to cry out, God, where is it that the enemy of my soul is trying to trip me up? What is he doing that's trying to distort my knowledge of you, my dependence on you, my lack of seeing your goodness, your power, your grace? Because I promise you, every one of us, the scripture says that the enemy of our soul is today working, scheming, planning and how to cause us to not trust in Jesus as our Savior. And he says, you need to be able to stand up to resist anything that comes from the enemy of our soul, the devil. And what is the promise? That if you're willing to resist, he might flee from you? That's a whole other sermon. He will flee from you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How do I live with an affection for the Father? I'm willing to resist the devil. I, listen to this, come near to God and he will come near to you. How do we change our unfaithful ways? We resist the devil and we pursue God. Come near to God he will come near to you. He might. Have you been good enough? <laughs> Have you done enough good behavior? Have you had a whole quarter of church attendance or good, you know? No. If you will draw near to God, He is this God who's jealous for you, runs to you. But for me to be able to cultivate affection for the Father, to avoid being unfaithful to Him by loving this present world, it calls for me to intentionally, actively, consistently pursue Him. 
In fact, it calls for me to live with a lifestyle and a mindset that I don't know what I've done today. I don't know what I'm supposed to do today. I don't know what my responsibilities and my duties are today. But the one thing that I cannot do is not pursue the Father today. Everything else pales in comparison to that. If I've done one thing today, it's pursue God. Woo! But that means what it means to come near. And you and I will be able to cultivate affection for the Father and be able to not be unfaithful to Him by loving the world through a consistent communication with Him. Pursuit of Him. Drinking in His presence living in his word, communicating with him in prayer, surrounding ourselves with a community of saints that keep us on focused task, that call us out in our behaviors, that encourage and strengthen us in our trials and our weaknesses. This is what it means to draw near to God, come near to him, pursue God. Have you made the ultimate priority of your life the pursuit of him? Have you lived this week thinking? Or are you going to live this next week thinking, the one thing that I have to have in my life is connection with the Father. Come near to God. He will come near to you. We resist the devil. We pursue God. You see, in that environment of pursuing him, cultivate love and we see the empty unsatisfactory whatever pursuits of uncontrollable or unbalanced desire What's amazing is God says, if you'll seek me first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you is the innate natural desires he's given to you, he fulfills in his way. It's perfect. It's beautiful. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he does what? Desires of your heart that he's given to you, he fulfills. Pursue God. And then he says this. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. You double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up. How do I change unfaithful ways? Resist the devil. Pursue God. But I get serious about sin. I'm amazed. I've sat through small groups before with people and listen, and it's almost like they just glory in their sin. Like it's just a part of their life. It's just kind of who I am. 
I'm like, have you read the New Testament? Our relationship with sin is drastically changed in relationship with Jesus Christ. We are not harboring this. We are looking to kill sin in our lives. Our evangelical culture has overemphasized security of the believer to the neglect of the seriousness of sin in our life and what God wants to do with it. He wants to eradicate it from our very life. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Create an attitude of humility, brokenness. How do I avoid being unfaithful to God and, and following after the world as my lover? It's when I see the sin principles in my life and the sinful behaviors, I grieve over them. I don't tolerate them. People are saying, well, then you think we live perfect. No! No one's living perfect, but my relationship to sin drastically changes in relationship with Jesus. And do I believe the grace of God is more powerful than any sinful behavior I have? Absolutely. I love what Matt Chandler says about this. He says this verses that fly in the face of everything Westerners embrace. When he says, be wretched and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He says, this is difficult for us. Because he says, the drug of choice in the modern age is levity, entertainment. I just want to laugh. I want to be light and bubbly. I don't want anything that's heavy or thick or make me feel bad. I just want somebody to make me feel good. I want to laugh. I want church to be that. I want home to be that. I want the movies to be that. I want our drug of choice is levity. And James is not having it. He says, mourn, weep, wail. I think it's Andy Stanley says that the God, the idol of our culture is comfort. I just want to be comfortable and I want to feel good. And comfortable people that always feel good fall in love with the world. But if you and I are willing to endure some pain, some hard looks at my life, some brokenness about my sinful patterns and behaviors and say, God, this doesn't feel good, but it's necessary. Godly sorrow works repentance is what Paul says. If I'm willing to sorrow in a godly way, not sorrow in like a fatalistic way, that's what sorrow is like. This is just broken and not fixable. Godly sorrow is this is broken and God can change it. And so I give it over to him and I'm sorrowful for how I have I have missed out on what he can do for me. This is not what is it Caleb says? Encouraging, positive, K-love, right? This is a word from James to us today. That this daily battle we have, the desires in us that so often quickly try to find fulfillment in the world and having affection for the world. It's a daily struggle for all of us. How do I avoid that? How do I stay faithful to the Father? 
It's through resisting the devil. It's through pursuing God. And it's getting serious about sin in my life. He says, when I'm willing to do that, (laughs) and live faithful to the Father. So this morning, I knew this was going to be heavy, okay? I just want us to sing before we leave. And I just ask the Holy Spirit, He's been speaking into my heart about this truth. Hey, what, every once in a while, your best coaches that you ever had in the world, they didn't always make you feel good. They found your weak point. They found where there was potential that was unrealized, and they pushed you on it. And they made it a little bit difficult. Some of you are like, a little bit. Really difficult. Because they knew what was possible, but only what was possible is if you were willing to endure facing your weakness or your laziness. You know, like, remember coaches, you're just lazy here. If you would work on this, you could develop this and you'd be a better player here. Right? James is pushing us. I want you to realize the potential you have to, to avoid settling for this world that will not satisfy and it will leave you empty but if you'll live in relationship with the Father sometimes it takes a little pushing, get serious about your sin allow yourself to mourn, weep and wail it actually produces a beautiful thing change for the better So would you sing this today and allow the Holy Spirit just to speak into your life. Would you stand this morning? Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? But Jesus is calling. Take your sorrows and bring them for joy. Drink from the well, but Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. No, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Be a prayer. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born but Jesus is calling but Jesus is calling no come to the altar the Father's arms are open wide 
precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. No Christ is risen, bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. So then again, what a Savior. Come on, this is a Father, thank you for the faithfulness of your word that discerns life, that shows us how we ought to live, that gives us at times words of warning. This is a daily struggle for every one of us. The pull to love this world, to have an affection for this world that causes me to move my affection away from the Father. And yet, if we would just understand that loving the Father, He's created this world for our fulfillment, our enjoyment, and out of our affection for Him, He gives us these things in such a right way. We battle against our tendency want to do it ourselves, fulfill it ourselves, experience it ourselves. Lord, would you chase these things out of our heart by our consistent resistance of the enemy of our soul, by our continual pursuit of God, by our ability to to be serious about sin in our life. This is where faith lives. This is how faith acts. There's nothing more beautiful, more fulfilling, more satisfying 
wholehearted relationship with Jesus Christ. Make it so in all of our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.